is Ruining Your Childhood, and I'm Kirsten. I'm Sarah. And today we're starting our saga into the Star Wars universe. I I wish I could hum the song. <laughs> nah. Oh wait, yeah, I probably can't because of copyright reasons. Yeah, I, I was going to say this, our saga into the Star Wars saga. Our Star Wars into the saga. <laughs> but... So I'm assuming you've seen the Star Wars films before. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you're a human that lives in this world. In this universe, most people have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also a, a big fan myself. So I've not just seen it. Again. Yeah. This is, the, again, with the disclaimers, I love Star Wars. I have loved Star Wars since my childhood. Uh, my mom bought the very infamous now 1997 box set when they remastered everything and added in certain things. Uh, but she bought that box set for us and I think we watched the series for an entire summer just like on repeat because she mm. absolutely loves this series and so do I. So today yeah. we are talking specifically about the original three a uh, New Hope, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back. Not in that order. <laughs> I said them incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, uh, the idea. Episodes uh, four through six. The, those are the ones. Four through six. The OGs. I think it's important to start with the world that Star Wars was born into. Let's let's talk about George Lucas for just a hot minute. I would love to. Let's. I could talk about George Lucas for approximately six podcast episodes, but uh, <laughs> I mean, we almost are. <laughs> he's a very important part of this, not just because of its. He's its creator, but he's also probably its worst enemy as well. <laughs> uh, he is the. He is both God and the devil in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> he is he is such an interesting figure and before we start talking about star wars i want to talk about the progression of his film career and how he got from where he started to star wars so yeah. how much do you know about george lucas's first film thx that came out in 1971. I know almost nothing of it. Okay, well, I didn't either because it's uh, a <laughs> it's like a lost classic. Um, it's actually like received a lot of like uh critical success in the years following, but when it was released, it was a complete flop. Uh, this was a project he started on in film school, and then when he finished film school, he was actually mentored by. Do you want to guess who his mentor was? Because I wouldn't have ever guessed it. Steven Spielberg. No, they're friends, but his actual mentor was Francis Ford Coppola. What? I know. (laughs) You can't see it. (laughs) No, no. You would never guess. Like, not that George Lucas is a horrible filmmaker compared to Francis Ford Coppola. They're just completely different filmmakers. Like, you would never think that the guy who made The Godfather looked at George Lucas and said, I really like what I see here. Um, <laughs> but apparently, he was such a huge influence on George Lucas that the character of Han Solo is actually based on Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, interesting. 
again, I can't see it, but okay. (laughs) Uh, But so Francis Ford Coppola is his mentor, but his first like theatrical debut, let me just give you like a little synopsis of this, okay? So in the future, sexual intercourse and reproduction are prohibited, whereas use of mind-altering drugs is mandatory to enforce compliance among the citizens and to ensure their ability to conduct dangerous and demanding tasks. Emotions and the concept of family are taboo. Workers are clad in identical white uniforms and have shaven heads to emphasize uniformity. Likewise, police androids wear black and monks, who are also part of the, like, government, also wear black robes. Instead of names, people have designations with three arbitrary letters and four digits, which are shown on an identity badge that has to be shown at all times. And so this is like a really adult-themed dystopian science fiction movie where people have lost their sense of identity completely and also have lost like love and sex and all the things that make humans humans. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see that George Lucas was originally so interested in such an adult-focused dystopian science fiction universe yeah because i mean he's he's said time and again that star wars is kind of at its heart for kids and so to see him with that although i do see some elements from star wars that i can i see similar elements in both of these right it's like you can sort of see the bones but so Mm -hmm. this when it was released this movie was like an absolute flop They did, like, extra cuts and director's cuts from George Lucas, like, later into the 80s, where he added a bunch of stuff. Are you seeing any more Hallmarks? <laughs> he, yeah. But this original, like, runtime theatrical version has never made it to any sort of at-home viewing. So it's probably impossible to find at this point, like, the original version. But it seems like he took things from this movie and saw what worked and what didn't. But after he made this movie, he made American Graffiti. And have you ever seen American Graffiti? I haven't seen it, but I I always forget that that is him. I honestly thought it was a Steven Spielberg film until uh, when I was researching this episode. I always thought it was Steven Spielberg's like first movie not George Lucas's because uh those two have worked so much together that it's sometimes hard to separate whose project is which yeah like I always think that Close Encounters is a George Lucas production and it isn't that's Steven Spielberg but American Graffiti was based on George Lucas's teenage years in Modesto California and it's it's just about like teenagers cruising around it's it's like one of those like kind of movies about nothing that's really interesting. Is it like aesthetically pleasing? And It's aesthetically pleasing and I think it was really relatable to a lot of people. So it did incredibly well. It also starred um, Ron Howard. I couldn't think of his name. I wanted to say Opie really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it, it is Opie. I think a lot of people would have known what you meant. <laughs> But so this was like extremely commercially successful and it got nominated for five Oscars. 
including Best Director for George Lucas. So he sort of ruined his entire reputation with the THX movie, and then he bounced back with American Graffiti, and that is the only reason that we have Star Wars. Because if he had just made THX, he is so unbankable that they would have not given him a dime. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, not another one from you, buddy. And I'll get into it, but people expected this movie to do horribly. Yeah. People thought New Hope was going to be the worst movie ever made. (laughs) (laughs) But so let's talk about the world that uh, A New Hope comes into. So we start in 1957 with the space race, right? So Americans in the world really get interested in space travel and the new frontier. So we get a lot of space-based sci-fi. People are starting to get interested in it. But with the Cold War, advances in technology also add to a lot of fear of nuclear war and the unknown possibility of like, is the next thing going to kill us all? (laughs) Because that was sort of like always a threat. Like, is this new innovation going to be our destruction? Right. And then, you know, the Vietnam War goes on and it's a really turbulent time. Like, the early 70s are rough because Vietnam War is happening. Richard Nixon is resigning Watergate. It's it's a lot. And I think that the movies that come out in the early to mid 70s all kind of reflect that. So that's when we get the THX movie that's really dystopian and negative and pessimistic about the future we get this sort of worst case scenario stuff coming out you know most movies talk about how horrible the political climate is you know they're all sort of a a commentary on the time yeah but then nixon resigns in 1974 and jimmy carter becomes president and before nixon resigns he signs the strategic arms limitation treaty So that prohibited the manufacture of nuclear missiles by both the Soviet Union and the U.S. So it's sort of a relative time of ease. The Vietnam is over. Uh, There's a little bit of an easing of the Cold War. Nixon's out of office. Jimmy Carter is president. And we get a new hope. A new hope happens. Yeah, like people can start thinking a bit more optimistically about the future, even though, of course, Star Wars takes place in a long, a long time ago, and you know all that stuff. A galaxy far, far away, and yet also somehow in the future, like (laughs) it, it does feel futuristic to us. Um, I never had a problem grasping this concept. I always assumed that like other universes would be way more advanced. Like, as a kid, I liked the multiverse theory, so... <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I always yeah. thought, yeah, like, this could happen. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, Lucas actually said the reason he was making Star Wars is that he wanted to give young people some sort of faraway, exotic environment for their imaginations to run around in. Yeah. He said, I have a strong feeling about interesting kids in space exploration. I want them to want it. I want them to get beyond the basic stupidities of the moment and think about colonizing Venus and Mars. 
And the only way it's going to happen is to have some dumb kid fantasize about it to get his ray gun, jump in his ship, and run off with this Wookiee into outer space. So he wanted wanted an adventure story, like a hopeful view of the future, to get kids interested in space exploration and science and sort of the fun of it because the future looked bleak for a minute and now there's possibility. Yeah. He wanted it to be very much in the style of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. He wanted it to appeal, like you said, to kids, to 14 and 15 year olds were actually his ideal audience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting to think about in terms of how universally loved these movies are. I think that, especially now, we really hate on young adult fiction and drag it over the coals, but... This is the same age demographic as Twilight. Exactly. I was just... When I read that, I was like, oh, so Twilight, but space? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and or Maze Runner. You know, Maze Runner, I think, is sort of that same target audience, but had a, a much different reaction, like... Uh, It was very much like a movie for teens. Right. So, like I said, when A New Hope is released, everybody thinks it's going to be the worst movie ever made. And it was like they had so little faith in this movie that the budget was $11 million, which is like a low budget for even movies of the time. They were like, you know, you lost a lot of money on that THX movie, so... We're going to give you max 11 million. He had asked for 18 and <laughs> they were like, not a chance, buddy. Uh, you get 11 and that's tops. You have to add in your own sound effects for the pew, pew, pew. <laughs> yeah. He also took a $350,000 pay cut in exchange for merchandising and sequel rights. And huh. at the time, the movie studio execs were like, that is a sweet deal for us because there is no way we're making more than one of these films. And <laughs> at the time, toys didn't sell from movies very well because this is hard for us in 2020 to remember, but it used to take a long time for movies to come out in the theater and to have products made to go with those movies And then an even longer time before it was released on anything that you could bring home. So the studio sort of thought, we're releasing these movies in May. The only time that we sell toys is in Christmas. So we're not going to sell a lot of merchandise from this. It's just going to be a flop that no one sees. So yeah, take your $350,000 pay cut take your merchandising rights that we're not going to make any money off of and, you know, we get a sweet deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, George Lucas really had a lot of, like, foresight to do that. I don't, I don't know, like, that's, like, really betting on yourself, but it paid yeah. off in a real big way for him. I think, you know, what pops into my my mind when I hear about, like, George Lucas doing that kind of thing is, like, he really just has the audacity to assume these things more than anything else. And, like, sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I think that this made him cocky, honestly. 
I think originally he thought like every other human that it was going to flop. So I think that when this paid off for him big time that he got overconfident, I want to say. But um, the one person who actually thought this was going to be a huge hit, Steven Spielberg. Well, you would know. I read a very cute story about George Lucas showing a really rough cut to a bunch of director friends. And everyone was like, you've really screwed the pooch on this one, George. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, this, like, what are you thinking? This is horrible. And then the only person in the room who thought it was any good was Steven Spielberg. And he was like, I think this is going to make you millions of dollars. (laughs) And that's a true friend. Like, what a good friend. Yeah. Like, (laughs) Uh, he just kind of saw past that it didn't look like anything else that anyone had ever seen and saw the potential, I guess. He's like just a cute little friend encouraging you like, oh, you can do it, buddy. It's going to make a lot of money, I think. (laughs) Uh, And he was correct. It made a shit ton of money. This is like unheard of. It was the first movie to gross more than $300 million like ever of all time, which is wild. It eventually grossed more than 513 million dollars and between 1977 and 1978 sold 100 million dollars worth of toys so good call georgie everyone (laughs) wants a lightsaber lightsabers look cool and so i think this is where we see the genius of george lucas originally he had written luke skywalker as an older general And Han was an alien. The studio sort of made them make the script more human focused. But George Lucas actually made the decision to make Luke a young farm boy. And I think that's what changes Star Wars. I think if if Luke Skywalker had been like a war hardened general, then these movies don't make sense. And they don't sell because that's not relatable to the target audience that he wants for this which is young people right and the casting of mark hamill is so perfect because he is so much in this like 1977 aesthetic he looks like david cassidy like yeah he's like got his floppy hair he's like he's not uh you know super masculine and tough guy he's just sort of like a cute kid like he has a very like surfer boy type aesthetic can i just say that he has mastered the art of being both like the crossover of like twink and himbo he's the perfect crossover (laughs) that is exactly that's exactly he's mastered it you are correct So perfect casting, Mark Hamill. I I love Mark Hamill in general, not just because he's Luke Skywalker, but for every decision that he makes. <laughs> he, is, like a very, he seems like a very genuinely nice guy. He does, and he's he's just very talented. Just in general, just a very talented, nice person. Mm-hmm. I think he's nice. I'd like to think if I met him that we would be friends, but yeah. you know. Yeah, well, on his Twitter, he's very nice. On his Twitter, he's nice. All of his interviews, he seems really cool. He has a new commercial where he specifically talks about ordering food without tomatoes, and that really endears me to him as a fellow tomato hater. (laughs) 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 Um, But 
so, yeah. So, the movie does extremely well. It launches Mark Hamill's career. It launches Carrie Fisher's career. They become household names. Of course, Mr. Harrison Ford goes on to have, like, one of the most extensive acting careers of all time. One of the most recognizable faces in the U.S., the love of the like so many people's lives <laughs> yeah. he is truly like the man who it will be eternally lusted after uh <laughs> and i i just think he's cool like i think it's rare to be cool i think you can be handsome and not be cool i think you can be you know funny and smart and not be cool he just masters cool he's just really good at being cool yeah just a sort of like he seems like he doesn't care, and that makes him awesome. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I get perfect. that. Like he, <laughs> he seems like he is a, like should be wearing sunglasses at all time, but, but like doesn't really need to because he's just, he's very cool. Like he could look at the sun and be like, eh, not even squint, just like <laughs> stare at it. <laughs> he would be a-okay. He's always wearing metaphorical sunglasses. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it obviously is a huge success. It launches careers and makes everyone who works on it a household name almost overnight. And they immediately greenlight a sequel. So that's the start. Let's talk about some of the uh, issues here. Okay. Um, how many girls are in this movie? One. <laughs> one actually there's two and one of them gets burned up in the first scene oh yeah yes uh aunt Um, she yeah the the aunt who is burned to an absolute crisp within the first 20 minutes of the film (laughs) and then princess leia and there are literally no people of color in this movie um Uh, it's it's entirely white I assume you mean in the first one and not like the whole series. Just the first okay. one. Just the just a new hope. Gotcha. We're still on just a new hope. In a new hope, there's nobody who is non-white. Excluding James Earl Jones, who is not in the movie, whose face is never pictured. He is just used for his absolutely fantastic voice. Mm. So arguably he is a person of color, but he is never on screen, so I'm not going to count that. Yeah, that's fair. And he's also the villain. <laughs> right. He is the 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 villain, and also his face is never brought up. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Star Wars, uh, the face is white when he takes off the helmet. So, mm-hmm. And spoiler for these prequels, Anakin is a white person. Mm-hmm. So... His voice does not sound that beautiful before he puts on the mask. Yes. The the breathing devices are really what make him sound amazing. Mm-hmm. But, um, so yeah. No people of color. One female character. And that's almost true for the entire first trilogy. So, in The Empire Strikes Back, it's released in... Uh, 1980 so people are clamoring for this sequel so in this movie Luke, Han, Princess Leia and Chewbacca 
face attack by Imperial forces on the ice planet Hoth. Han and Leia escape in the Millennium Falcon. Luke travels to Dagobah in search of Yoda. And only with the Jedi Master's help will Luke survive when the dark side of the Force beckons him into the ultimate duel with Darth Vader. This is, I think, the quintessential Star Wars movie of the first trilogy. I think it's the most recognizable. Yeah. The Yoda training scene. The Yoda training scene. The uh, the big duel at the end. Yes, with the big reveal that shocked everyone. <laughs> the shocker. I can't imagine the people who saw this for the first time not knowing. Like, can you? Because <laughs> even when I watched it as a kid, I knew the entire time that Darth Vader was Luke's dad. Mm-hmm. You cannot not know it. It's in your head from birth at this point because so many other things reference the Luke I am your father that like you can't it's never ever going to be a surprise ever again yeah unless you are never allowed to watch tv or like look at anything on the internet until you're (laughs) old enough to watch the movies (laughs) (laughs) and 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 like okay if you like showed it to someone when they were like just old enough to uh you know have thoughts <laughs> then you know still it wouldn't be that much of a surprise to them because they'd be barely knowing what was going on so point is <laughs> just, there, there's uh, no way to to surprise people with this anymore so just to be in that theater oh wow yes my mom still talks about how life-changing these movies were to see in the theater because she was like there was nothing like this it was completely revolutionary, like life changing. Yeah. And she like to this day compares every movie watching experience to Star Wars. <laughs> so she's a huge Avengers nerd also. And she's like when she saw Guardians, the first Guardians of the Galaxy, she was like, this makes me feel like Star Wars all over again. <laughs> Like, I think the closest equivalent to me growing up would have been the Harry Potter Midnight premieres. But the thing is, yes. like, there were books, so we, like, knew what was going to happen. So if you take the excitement of that, plus just genuinely not knowing what's going to happen, wow, what an atmosphere. I can't, I literally can't imagine how exciting it would be. Um, so, yeah, these movies are wonderful, and they've stood the test of time for a reason. But, uh, there are problems. <laughs> So let's let's talk about the introduction of a very important character in this movie, uh, Mr. Lando Calrissian. Okay, I love Lando, and I think Lando's a universally like pretty well liked character, but he is the only person of color in this cast. And when you only have one black character, it makes the way that that character is written problematic kind of inherently because they're sort of carrying so much on their backs yeah they are kind of the sole representative of all of black people like and so it's a lot so he's not like he's carrying all the representation on his back he's the only non-white person and he immediately sells out everyone (laughs) he immediately is like turning on his friends yeah Which I think is an interesting, like, character development, and I actually really like that for his character, but when he is the only representation in the movie, it's just 
kids are watching it and they're like, when white kids are watching it and forming their opinions, like that this is maybe, you know, some kid in like a small town that's never met a black person before, or you are a black person who, you know, is going to see your favorite movie franchise and, and that is the one black person in the movie. Right. And like, look at Luke Skywalker, like white children have Luke Skywalker to look up to who is like completely noble this uh complete perfect angel who you know is fighting against his every bad instinct to be this good person Mm -hmm. and then you also have Han Solo who's like a little bit of a scoundrel but he's so cool and composed and always knows what to do and even though his morals are a little askew he always ends up doing the right thing and then you have Lando who I think is an amazing character and really well written it's just that we don't get any any more people of color in this entire cast so to have everything riding on him is uh uncomfortable and yeah. and like looking at it from a modern perspective and again I think Billy D Williams is in the same category as Harrison Ford, and he's just one of those people who is inherently cool. Mm-hmm. He just is. Like, he just, like, the minute that he steps on screen, he is cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and even not just in this movie, even just in interviews, he just, he just exudes, like, smoothness and cool and, like, charming. He's just a very captivating person to watch. But again, this is still a majority white cast and no other races are represented in this movie at all, except for, uh, and this is like a little bit of a problematic representation. So Jawas speak a language that Zulu people speak, and I have no idea how to pronounce this language, so I'm not going to try it, but it's the native language of the Zulu people, and... It is played faster, and that's what the Jawas say. And if you're if you're going to steal a language and not put any actual Africans into the cast, it just seems like you're exploiting a culture without even shining a light on them. Especially to put that language onto like a non-human species. Right. And the Jawas are like little tricksters they're not like the jedi but yeah that's a an uncomfortable truth when dealing with this series and again we only have one female character so even though princess leia is a badass and you know fights for herself and defends her home planet she's still the only representation of women in this movie so Again, she's trying to carry all of that on her back as well. So it's just a movie with not a lot of representation for anyone. Mm -hmm. There are no women of color, which is uh, frustrating. The problem even the newer franchises deal with, not like eventually there was, but you know, it it took uh, a very long time. It took a very long time. And uh, we'll get into this when we talk about the newer trilogy but even in the newer trilogy a lot of races have one cast member uh you know like so you get into like a little bit of like tokenism i don't know if that's the right word to use but i think i think it is it's just it would be nice to see a very diverse cast 
represented in a lot of different ways. So if you love this series, you also have to reckon with the fact that it is written. It's written mainly for white males. That's the target audience. And that's who was upset when they tried to make different decisions. This is where the seeds start getting planted for the rabid fan base that comes into play in later series. Exactly. Sorry, I took a swallow and it like hit so hard. (laughs) I was watching this with Colin and I was like, you know, Lando Calrissian is the only person of color. And he was like, yeah, he immediately sells out everyone too. (laughs) Oh, that does suck. Like that, that sucks. Like I love that. If Han had made that same character choice, I would have liked it more. But like, it's a good twist. But when you Ugh, it's like when mm. it's the only black person on the entire franchise and you know it, it, it is kind of somewhat reflective of the times where you know this is post civil rights movement there is more of a conversation about race in the united states but you know the united states is still racist and still contending with that and still are today and so you get maybe a little bit more representation in, in film and and television but it's not exactly the best and then you you get things like tokenism and then when there's tokenism there is you know if that character has flaws then it's an issue because they are like you know the one role model for black kids and in this case you like almost like the one role model for kids who aren't white just like how leia is like the one role model for all girls but she's a white woman and so it still leaves this is kind of that that point where little girls of color get kind of left out of everything because the first groups to like get representation in movies are men of color and white women. Probably white women first, then men of color. Right. So moving on from that. Oh, also the like Lando as a traitor thing is so like stuck in our culture that when Stranger Things came out, there is a point where they're being sabotaged and they're literally like, Lando, this is a Lando thing. And it's like, oh yeah, your friend turned on you. It's a Lando moment. Yeah. Star Wars is so like ubiquitous. I don't know if that's the right word. It's, that's a big word for me. It, it's it's just so ingrained in our culture that everyone immediately knows what that means. But also... It's got its problems. (laughs) Uh, It's got a lot of them. And so in 1983, we get the last movie in the original trilogy, which is Return of the Jedi. Uh, Return of the Jedi is my favorite. I don't know which one my favorite is. Of this, of this series. Yeah. Ooh. Of this series, Return of the Jedi is my favorite. I I like it because the gang kind of gets back together. Whereas the thing with Empire is that it it is really good, but they're kind of apart, you know? I do love the Yoda training sequence, though. The Yoda training sequence is one of the best sequences in the whole franchise, I think. I think Yoda's... Yoda is definitely my favorite character in the entire series. He's just a little boy, but also really old. He's just little and very old and very wise and just... And a puppet. And a puppet. And you can empathize with him because he's a puppet and not a CGI monstrosity. monstrosity. Oh my gosh, did we just say monstrosity yeah. at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> We're saying- uh, that's how much we hate Yoda in the prequels. <laughs> yes. 
oh i'm gonna talk a lot about that next week (laughs) yeah but so this version of yoda is amazing he's old and wise and lovable and funny he also is like he has a lot of humor whereas obi-wan is sort of very wise and serious yoda's kind of like sophia from the golden girls like (laughs) old and wise but also very sassy yeah yeah, Uh, a little bit so yes i love yoda but uh, again he does die in the empire in in return of the jedi and that's uh rip that's my favorite (laughs) r.i.p in peace uh our sweet angel yoda um (laughs) But no one really dies in Star Wars because if you ha- use the Force, you become a Force ghost. So sick. sick <laughs> <laughs> Lit. I would love to be a Force ghost. You get to spy on your friends, tell them when they're being stupid. <laughs> yeah, come with them in their dreams and tell them to go train with a little weird creature in the woods. Yes. You're like, oh, why are you meeting back up with your dad he's so toxic <laughs> <laughs> have boundaries Luke. Uh, me as the force ghost <laughs> uh, um, remember what we talked about in therapy last week boundaries <laughs> uh, but yes so oh I, I don't even think i touched on this but like so uh darth vader's his dad uh we kind of <laughs> talked about it but uh, that gets revealed at the end of Empire, and that's why it's a lot of people's favorite, is because it's such a big reveal. It's such a big twist. Um, and it changes sort of the relationship between Luke and Darth Vader, because he goes from just hating him to having a complicated view of him. And also, up until this point, Obi-Wan has sort of told Luke about his dad, And that his dad was killed by Darth Vader. So he looks at Darth as the guy who murdered his father. And then suddenly, nope, he is your father. (laughs) Uh, I mean, in a way he did, right? uh, Yeah, that's the big thing that all along they were hinting at that we never saw. I don't know. I wonder if people guessed this before they saw this movie. Maybe. Uh, Someone had to have somewhere. But, I, you know, there's always fan theories, right? Right. Were there fan fictions in the 70s? But oh, I'm they, sure there were. They were just written down, <laughs> shared amongst friends. <laughs> yeah, like they would pick out the sweet fanfic I wrote. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine. They were mostly just diaries of like 15 year olds. <laughs> yeah, self insert fanfics between them and Leia. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, this is another thing we need to touch on. So, Han and Leia. They have sort of a will they or won't they relationship in Empire. And I think it can skirt the edges of problematic a little bit. I'd say so. Because they have a sort of thing where Leia will be like, I hate you. I don't think you're attractive. And Han will be like, I know you love me. Wink. At one point in Empire, he says to her, you could use a kiss or you could use a good kiss when she's yeah. yelling at him. And it's like, um, Ew. it's like really skirting the edges. 
And I think we always sort of get the vibe that Leia is really into him. So it sort of softens the blow. But if Leia hadn't been into him, it would be very, very weird. Yeah. And like, it's not a good precedent to set. Right. For the young man of the world. Right. It's the, you know, I pick on you because I like you sort of thing. And I think it's a it's a bad precedent. And, you know, Leia never openly like says that she likes him. He always just assumes because I'm guessing because he looks like Harrison Ford and he's like, who would not love me? But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, little bit of arrogant. He's an arrogant character. Yeah, he's very arrogant and just assumes that she'll be into him. And, you know, she really fights him on that for a while. And he always pushes back. Which I think is problematic, you know, if someone's, you know, said to you, like, I'm not interested, take their word for it as a rule of thumb. That's a that's a time for you to be like, I get it. It's cool. We can continue our working relationship and our relationship as friends. But I understand that you don't want anything romantic to happen here. Yeah, well, and I, I think that the idea that that kind of Leia and Han dynamic where the guy is being repeatedly turned down, but like she actually secretly wants him anyway, is very much a fantasy that rarely actually happens in real life. Generally speaking, if someone acts outwardly very annoyed with someone, that's probably <laughs> what it is. And so I think it, it maybe perhaps gave a lot of people the wrong idea. And so like, you know, it's one thing to watch that movie and be like, ah, what a fun dynamic between these two characters. Like, isn't that so them? But then it's another thing to like project that onto your interpersonal relationships and your real life. Right. It's the, she says no, but she means yes. Yeah. We're just like Han and Leia. Right. And that is been turned around against women who are really saying no and uh you know again just uh if someone is outwardly being irritated with you or turns down your advances it's best to just cut it out then like don't do it anymore yeah um don't if they do secretly want you and they're telling you no repeatedly anyway well for one thing there could be a reason for that but for another thing you know, that seems like a weird toxic dynamic that maybe, you know, maybe that person isn't really worth pursuing anyway if they're giving you intentionally mixed signals. Right. Uh, We know from how this plays out that the relationship between Han and Leia does not end extremely well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I think, I think that's very true in relationships like this that are based on sort of a physical attraction and then like a really love hate relationship I think those can seem appealing to people but I think that they turn toxic and bad real fast yeah so uh you know even if Leia is extremely into it I think the sort of love hate dynamic that they have uh spoils pretty quickly yeah and also there is at least in real life you know, a bit of age difference between the actors. And so I think it might be reasonable to assume that that age difference is still there for evident, you know, case in point, 
Han will frequently call Luke kid. And as we know, uh, not to spoil it, but Luke and Leia are twins. So if he's kid, so is she. So it seems like maybe she is a younger girl and maybe later on realized, uh, ooh, this guy is a bit of a shyster. This guy is a weirdo. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the Han and Leia dynamic is uh, problematic. And also the Luke-Leia dynamic is real problematic. <laughs> oh man, George Lucas just um, sitting there knowing full well. He's trying to make them siblings, having them kiss. Um, yeah, and... The thing that, okay, so this is one moment where Leia is absolutely being problematic because when Luke has just been attacked and has his, he's in his little hospital stay, she kisses him to make Han jealous. Like, she specifically kisses Luke in front of Han to make Han jealous. And don't do that. Uh, don't use people, especially no. your brother. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can do that, but you know, it's a life lesson. Yeah, don't make out with your brother to make a guy jealous. Number one, <laughs> uh, not okay. Uh, things I don't condone. Um, <laughs> ruining your childhood podcast does not condone incest for the sake of making someone jealous or for any purpose. <laughs> Yeah, we do not condone incest. <laughs> uh, things I'm hard against, incest. Um, but so, yeah, uh, that's a really, like, I think that's a damaging trope that gets thrown around in film a lot is the lady who's trying to make a man jealous. So she uses the affection of someone who she has no sexual attraction to to get a rise out of the man she actually desires. That happens a lot in movies, and it's always weird. Yeah, and poor Himbo Luke just has no idea what's going on. He's so confused. He's just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a very popular fan theory that Luke is gay because, you know, he doesn't really, he doesn't end up with anybody. And I, I know, I guess in the later movies, he's, you know, perpetually single because he is a Jedi and, and you know, goes and lives alone. But you know, I I uh, I would like to run with that theory. And then Mark Hamill himself endorsed the theory, not him saying, like, this is a true thing, but he said, I support people thinking this. And so... I also know. support that. I, I fully support the Luke is gay theory. And I also like to think that Obi-Wan is gay also. That's... I agree. In my canon, Obi Wan and Luke are gay. So, I if think you read Han my is fan, bisexual. If you read my fanfics, that's what's happening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in my fanfics, also, Finn, Poe, and Ray have a thruple. They live very happily together. They're also all pansexual and have outside relationships, but that's their main core, and that's how I like to think of the movie. Yeah, and they're very healthy about it. They like. They all see a therapist that is the same species as Yoda, um, and they're God, just very please. emotional. And I see a therapist that's the same species as Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I would enjoy that greatly. But yes, they have a very healthy 
relationship with really well-defined boundaries. They're all very good at like coexisting with each other in a romantic relationship while also having other partners. So mm-hmm. this, these are my these are my fanfics if you want to read them. <laughs> you endorse this, Mark Hamill. Uh, do you endorse? Yeah, I bet he would. I bet he's on. He'd be really right on. I don't think I don't know what half of these words are, but uh, but I'm I'm in. <laughs> I'd explain it to him. Yeah. Oh, it's it, nothing's left up to chance or uh, speculation in these fanfics. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I don't write fan fiction, but I wish I did. Um, I mean, you could. <laughs> I I might start after this. This is my next podcast. Is me just uh the novel reading the novelization of. <laughs> um, but yes. So Luke and Leia exchange a very weird kiss. But at the end of the movie, Han is frozen in carbonite and Leia like realizes that she's in love with him. Yada, yada, yada. Return of the Jedi. Uh, I started with this a long time ago and it's taken me a while to get back here. I really, uh, I took a few detours. Um, (laughs) But so uh, Return of the Jedi is released in 1983 and it's released into a reagan presidency Mm. so um as soon as reagan takes office he really like uh ups the ante on the cold war (laughs) and so this like treaty that was signed is immediately kaput uh there's a threat of nuclear war again and so it's a way different world than the one that star wars was initially released into where there yeah. is a threat of real evil. I say that with quotes because uh, because of my own beliefs. But um, so, you know, it's just a different time. Definitely a, a world with a little more actual fear into it. But so in this movie, Luke battles Jabba the Hutt and Darth Vader to save his comrades in the Rebel Alliance and triumph over the Galactic Empire. Han Solo and Princess Leia reaffirm their love and team with Chewbacca, Lando, the Ewoks and droids to aid in the disruption of the dark side and defeat the evil Emperor. So in this movie, we get a lot more of the Emperor. Do you know who the real life parallel for the Emperor is? I don't know that, actually. Um, so I always thought that the Empire was based mainly on the Nazis. Um, I always thought there was a really direct parallel between Hitler and the Emperor. But actually, uh, Emperor Palpatine is based on Richard Nixon. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, so George Lucas hated nixon and he actually said that nixon subverted the senate and finally took over and became an imperial guy and he was really evil but he was pretending to be really nice so um that's where we get emperor palpatine that fascinating you you feel like most things in this time period are either a metaphor for russia or the nazis and it's one or the other and certainly never it's never a metaphor for the united states because we're we're not at this is not a time this is not a huge time for uh critiquing the united states and mainstream media but no that it's it is richard nixon 
It is. And I actually, I think knowing that context makes me actually like Star Wars more. But so he went on to say that it was really about the Vietnam War. And that was the period where Nixon was trying to run for a second term, which got me to thinking historically about how do democracies get turned into dictatorships because the democracies aren't overthrown. They're given away. So I really, I think he really loves this idea that dictatorships come into power not because they're overtaken, but because they're given away by followers, by people who go blindly. Um, a little bit relevant. Uh, yeah, yeah, it may have some relevancy. (laughs) (laughs) This may get a little close, but um. I think it it makes it sort of reframes how I think about George Lucas when I think about him writing Star Wars as a way to criticize the American war machine and Richard Nixon. That's pretty mind-blowing. And that, you know, dictators come to power because they get elected by people who support them. So I think that's a really interesting way to think about Emperor Palpatine. I mean... He really doubles down on that in the prequels. Mm-hmm. He really is, like, a firm believer in this affair. But there is a, a more problematic thing that he said in this same vein. Okay. So, um, the guerrilla war waged by the Rebel Alliance against the Galactic Empire mirrored the battle between insurgent force and global superpower that was playing out in Vietnam. And Lucas said that he based the Ewoks on the Vietnamese. Um, no! Which, which is bad. That's bad. But the reason that he said that they were based on uh, the Viet Cong is because they used uh, different weapons to defeat a uh, like more advanced military. Okay, I mean... I, I Still not good. Still not good. <laughs> Oh, George. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a bad look, George. Yeah, it's a real bad look. Um, I think we'll see as a running theme with these movies that uh, George Lucas has problems with how he uh, uses other cultures in these movies. Yeah, at some level, there's like okay intentions, but then he's just... He's kind of stupid. Um, I think he is very much like for his time, he would have been like held up as very progressive in terms of the way he thought about the government and that he actually saw the Viet Cong as, you know, fighting against an evil enemy. Um, yeah, which would be the US. I think that's like he would be held up as pretty progressive in those terms, but then in other times, he's just like very regressive uh again he completely fails to put people of color in any of the original trilogy he why he likes to write one female character at a time Uh, um, (laughs) a lot of the the females who who appear in the return of the jedi are slaves at uh jabba the hutt's camp i don't know sure are yeah, there's um there's a lot of enslaved women, which I think is pretty problematic. And even Princess Leia, who, you know, is a really empowered female character, she still gets captured and she's still turned into a 
a slave and she wears a very revealing bikini and that bikini is like one of the most popular visuals in American culture because uh, it was obviously meant to appeal to straight boys of the time and it really took hold with them. But it's really problematic when the one flushed out female character is A, a slave, and B, the only character who ever wears anything revealing and sexualized. Yeah, you don't see as much as a nipple from, uh, I guess you wouldn't see a nipple from her either. Let me rephrase that. You don't see as much as a shirtless, you know anything from from han and luke like yeah with han you get like a little bit of a v-neck chest hair but that's it that's really the only nudity that they have in this whole movie so uh it's pretty gross that leia dresses very sexily and that it's not her choice i think it's very important to note that leia doesn't choose to wear a sexy bikini she is forced into one as a slave which is yeah gross right and then that that is then they make toys out of that and then also her in that scene kind of becomes a sex symbol for like a generation of boys and but it's her in that specific situation uh yeah it makes the like sexy slave part of it and that's gross um even so much the fact that all of you friends fans will recognize that in friends rachel puts on the gold bikini as a sexual fantasy for ross yeah so it's like a really lasting image and i think it is really unfortunate that that's sort of the way that princess leia gets remembered for a lot of guys when she is such a badass otherwise yeah and you know that that just made me think of that thing from like the the first movie that carrie fisher always said that you know george lucas told her first at first was saying you can't wear a bra and she said why and he said well because there there aren't bras in space or whatever he said and when you when you factor in that carrie fisher was 19 it gets a little skeevier yeah, it's very skeevy. And, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's, and like, I, I don't want to dis- disrespect Carrie Fisher's memory or legacy in any way. I think she is fantastic. But, you know, it's sort of a downer that that's one of the lasting images of her in her slave bikini side note uh i always like to pitch my film ideas on this show here's here's a new one i want millie bobby brown to play carrie fisher in a biopic that would be really cool when she's older like in a few years when she's in her like mid-20s i want her to play carrie fisher because i think they sort of look alike i they do have like especially carrie fisher when she was younger I think a movie about Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford's relationship on like sort of a retelling that's accurate and also kind of shows sort of the the issues and things like that would be really interesting. There you go, studios. You're welcome. But, you know, I feel like, though, as kind of a backtracking side note, a lot of things about Leia kind of um and also just the interactions between han and leia and all that stuff really shaped the the fan base the very stereotypical white boy who's into star wars who 
they have a crush on Leia, they want to be Han, or maybe they want to be Luke, but I think most people <laughs> maybe want to be Han. And they, you know, maybe have a poster of, of Leia in their room. And then also, like, they develop these kind of toxic ideas about women. And this is kind of the infancy of nerd culture as we know it today that so notoriously is not that kind to women and people of color. Right. We can really see the the progression that this takes over the next 30 or so years from nerd culture with like all lowercase to nerd culture in all caps. <laughs> uh, this yeah. sort of like toxic, like the toxic ownership over this franchise. And right. And the toxic ideas that are birthed from this. This is the infancy of that. And one last thing I want to touch on is that George Lucas, in this original trilogy, there are no Asian characters, but he does like to borrow a lot from Taoism. Sort of the yin and yang, dark and light side of the force, he really borrows directly from that culture. And then completely ignores it in the movie so he likes to take the philosophies from a lot of uh different eastern ways of thinking a lot of eastern philosophy like buddhism and taoism but he likes to package it in little all white boxes so Mm -hmm. i think that's just one of the one of the problems we have to address when we talk about George Lucas is that he sort of has this fondness for eastern philosophy but he doesn't have the same love for the people who he uh, steals culture from. It's just important to talk about that sort of thing when we talk about George Lucas. And again, you know, he has his problems. Uh, I think he also has, you know, some good ideas. And, you know, he grew up in a time in America where it wasn't important to, uh, credit your sources (laughs) um you could borrow a lot from a lot of different cultures and and not have to atone for that but i think it's important to talk about that now to sort of shine a light exactly i agree with that completely and you know him him borrowing from other cultures specifically asian cultures uh does not improve in the prequels i'll tell you that much right uh i think he really digs into this uh sort of cultural theft especially when he outlines the philosophy of the jedi more the more that we know about the the jedi way the more it mirrors taoism and he never casts an asian person (laughs) as a jedi or 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 credits taoism in any way it it sort of repackages his own thing and george lucas has said that he based the way of the jedi on all major religions, including Taoism, Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, and uh, Islam, but it's yeah. it's it's looking more. The more you look at it, the more it looks like a straight ripoff of uh, sort of a mixture between Buddhism and Taoism. So yeah, and of course we don't get Asian actors in the Star Wars franchise until Rogue One followed. Soon after by Kelly Marie Tran, who, uh, as we know, and we'll get into this later, was absolutely done very wrong by the fandom and the franchise, I would say. Yeah, I would say nobody had the sand kicked in their face as hard as she did. Yeah. 
I think that is uh, most of what I have to say about the original trilogy. Again, uh, I think it's great. You know, these movies really shaped who I am in a lot of ways. Uh, You know, I think they're fun to watch. But I will say that these aren't my favorite because they don't have a lot of things that I like in them, like uh, powerful female role models, more than one. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, you know... Like this series is great, but I again I don't think I'm the intended audience for this this trilogy, and I love it. But again, it's it's not my favorite of all of the trilogies. So that's fair. What is your favorite? Uh, my favorite, my favorite Star Wars movie is actually The Force Awakens. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that one. I well, <laughs> we saw that movie together, by the way. We did, we did, yeah. I love The Force Awakens. I have different, I have, my opinions about the rest of that trilogy are um, something. All over the place. (laughs) I will save that for when we cover it. Right. (laughs) But yeah, I I think, you know, the Star Wars, like I would say most media is kind of a time capsule of of its time period. And I think it's very reflective of, of its time period. And, you know, we can appreciate it for what it is while also acknowledging that if we're going to continue to make Star Wars movies, we need to sort of right the wrongs. I hope we're moving in that direction. But yes, I love The Force Awakens. And it was like exactly five years ago that we were seeing this movie together because I got tagged in a memory from it. Just this past weekend. Oh my goodness. I didn't realize it. I I don't know why. I mean, obviously that makes sense because three movies, like two more movies after that, plus Rogue One came out. So it makes sense it would have been five years. But wow, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. I guess, Sarah, that you and I have seen all the past releases together with the exception of Rise of Skywalker, probably. Yeah, that one I saw with Matt, uh, our dear friend. It's definitely... Even today, watching the Star Wars movies is very nostalgic for me, and I, even the prequels, I had to watch the prequels for this, and then after I was done with those, I've been watching the originals too, and it's just, it just always gets me, like, when you see the the crawl, even, even when there's Jar Jar Binks, you know, it's just, if I'm watching Star Wars, I'm having a good time. Exactly, it's a, it's just a love that you, I think, grow up with in your soul like it's just something that feels like a nice warm sweater it's just cozy i will say that this is this rewatch i rewatched the original trilogy for this and i will say that this has probably been the least connected that i've been to the series and i think it's because i was watching it analytically and it's just not as fun uh it's (laughs) not as fun to watch these to specifically to pick them apart so next time I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to watch think them. too hard while you watch Star Wars. Just, just you know, watch watch the pretty colors and there's pew pew and th- that's what's important. Watch stormtroopers uh, get knocked around and don't think yeah. about it too much. Pew pew. pew. <laughs> that's me doing a lightsaber noise. I don't know that my impression's that good, but your impression is pretty good. Uh, that's because I used to do it constantly. Because, you know, when you have those uh, plastic lightsabers that you get as a child, 
Yeah. You, when you're hitting people with it, you have to make the lightsaber noise. So. You do, because otherwise uh, it doesn't actually do anything. That That's what gives it power. <laughs> so yeah, so I've been practicing my lightsaber noises for 20 years at this point. <laughs> I, I would love to hear some more. Womp. Womp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, I I I would think I was right there in the movie. I know it's pretty accurate. Uh, hire me anytime. Special effects. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh, that's my uh, my side gig. Is I just make lightsaber noises. <laughs> make the, the lightsaber noises. Fun fact on lightsaber noises: that sound is a 35 millimeter projector on idle and a stripped microphone cord being ran in front of a tv so it's like the feedback noise plus projector on a loop noise played together oh my god that is very cool bali artists are the unsung heroes of hollywood they really deliver the some of the most important stuff with a little recognition Next week, we're going to be diving right into the prequels, followed by the new trilogy, and then we're going to do one last one in our little Star Wars series on everything else in the the franchise. So Rogue One, The Mandalorian, uh, Clone Wars, yada, 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 all that stuff. I'm super excited for that. But yeah, that's it for this Star Wars. And, uh, you know, stay tuned for more Star Wars in the coming weeks. And uh, we hope to see you soon. And if there's something in particular that bothers you about the original trilogy or a part that you really like to discuss that I didn't mention, this is a massive series and I didn't get into everything. Please reach out to us on social media, tweet at us, message us on Facebook, send us an email. I'd love to discuss it with you. I had to cut a lot of stuff for time, but if you want to get into it on social media, I'm I'm ready to chat. So hit us up. Yeah. Yeah, give it give it all. Like we will respond to anything you send us. <laughs> all right. Good riddance. Good riddance.